0: Hello, and welcome to this episode of Steps to Change, the podcast where we explore learning and development topics, organizational behavior change, and practical ways to inspire people to act differently through the lens of our Steps to Change model, see it, own it, change it, and live it. On this episode, we're exploring the question, what makes effective and engaging anti-harassment learning and development programs? And we'll share what we've learned from creating anti-harassment content for different regions across the globe. I'm your host, Alan Lidkey, and I'm joined on this episode by John V. Comet. Hi, John V. How are you?
1: Hello, Alan. I'm doing very well. Thank you. How are you?
0: I'm doing very well as well. It's great to have you on this episode. So John V, for the listeners out there who might not know you, who are you? What do you do at steps and uh, what brings you to this episode with us today?
1: Thank you, Alan. I'm a client relationship director. I'm based out of India. have been working with steps for the last twelve years. And of course, I started off as an actor, but over the last few years have uh, worked on various programs, uh, enabling Steps to Change as well. And I have primarily most of the programs that I've worked with at, at Steps have been in the space of how or unconscious bias. So I am very passionate about the topic. That's why I'm here and I'm excited to, you
0: know, explore this conversation. Well, and and thank you for that, John V. And I know that we recently had the opportunity to partner and work on a program for a a global organization exploring anti-harassment. And so I think what I'm excited to get into today is just that concept of what makes a great anti-harassment program, but also kind of start to understand the differences that how it manifests itself from around the different regions around the globe. Let's start with the big question. What makes effective anti-harassment? learning and development programs?
1: I think uh, the first step in any intervention around this is for clients to, or for people or the the people within the firm, to really understand what harassment is. Many a times, people associate with with a certain type of harassment, but uh, without really understanding what does harassment actually mean and who defines it. I am a strong believer that when we find that out for our own organization or for our own teams, for our own people, that's when we can uh, begin the step towards really developing a very in-depth conversation or an intervention around, around harassment.
0: And I guess uh, John V, in that sense, for our listeners, what do you mean by what it is in terms of harassment? Just unpack that for us a little bit.
1: So I. What it is in terms of one, of course, as we all know, it is about the receiving end, the person at the receiving end, at the other end, and how they perceive it, what they are feeling about it. But it's also important for people to understand how behaviors, actions, quite unintended, quite unconscious, might be impacting people in a very different way, right? So to first, as a first step, like like we speak about in our behavioral change programs and steps to change, for people to really see it people to really understand how behaviors or even slight microaggressions and nuances can really impact people and the environment and the culture it can create without you even realizing it. I think that's very important for people to first discover, right? I remember the the program that you spoke about earlier when we kind of collaborated. We realized that while in the organization, we defined what, what harassment meant. We had to go through different, when we played it out rather in different regions, we realized it could mean very different things in different places. The way it manifests could be different. The way it plays out could be different. And something that's absolutely acceptable in one region could also be different from a different region, right? So the cultural nuances play a big role. And for everyone also to have a consistent messaging around it. Right. So while there are regional nuances could be different, the messaging needs to be consistent around what defines harassment, uh, what constitutes harassment and where do we draw the line and who draws that line? You know, for people to really, really understand and absorb that by experiencing for themselves, not experiencing situations, of course, but experiencing what good behaviors can look like and what impact that it can create on people. I think that becomes very important in this conversation.
0: I think one thing for me on the the journey I guess I have been in creating content in this space is I think some of our clients not all of them have come in with the viewpoint that we just that it's just sexual harassment right but actually and while that's a really crucial understanding and subject area to explore if that is a challenge that your organization may face it's very important to have those conversations but one of the things we we like to encourage our clients to do is kind of think about the broad spectrum of harassment because they all kind of can link to each other and inform each other so you know things like of course sexual harassment bullying gossip right Uh, harassment that happens on social media, right? That's a developing area that we're seeing. So it's really about helping people understand that it's not just this siloed subject bits within the harassment thing. It's actually all maybe connected in a way.
1: Absolutely, Alan. That's a very good point that you've made. And sometimes it's also interlinked. So it's important for people to get, like you said, the broader understanding, the broader perspective. It's also interlinked very recently for an organization, we were having a discussion and when we had an initial conversation, it seemed like the the challenges in the firm were were only around prevention of sexual harassment or which was only around sexual harassment rather, right? And when we got into the research, when we got into the deep dive and the diagnostic phase, we realized that this actually comes from a particular bullying or sexist behaviors, which has then led to this. You know, so somewhere for people to, and then we've explored how we can just get people thinking about harassment itself, right? And the broader understanding of what harassment means. And it brought out simple things and that conversation brought out simple things, you know, the kind of in team outings or in team bondings, the kind of games you play or the kind of activities you run. And is there an undertone of some kind of you know power dynamics in the way of you know your game is being played or an activity that you're running and how that could you know lead to people feeling a particular way or feeling a particular way in which they respond to that activity you know as it's rightly said Harassment is not just about one isolated incident, right? It is about multiple, little, uh, subtler micro aggressions, subtler, smaller incidents, comments maybe sometimes, which just pile up and lead to really a feeling of harassment. And I think that's very important for people to understand as well, when we are speaking about learning in organizational context.
0: That's really interesting. And what's jumped out for me there, John B, is this idea that we almost, a lot of people may come to us when they think, oh, sugar, we have a problem. Somebody's reported the kind of sexual harassment piece, right? But actually, we need to go back and look through the journey that's maybe led up to that. So the question is not how do we solve for, you know, this very egregious moment that they've come across, which is, you know, absolutely not acceptable in any way, shape or form. But what's the, what's the systemic behaviors that have been manifesting themselves that have led up to this point? So it's almost getting back to a kind of, you know, working backwards, if you will. Going back to, you know, where did the where did the behavior start from, really? So a question I have for you, John B., is, so, you know, in our experience of delivering programs, what's been the kind of barriers or stigma that people have or participants might have when they think they're going to be in, joining a, a program on anti-harassment? What's their kind of initial defense that they might bring into that thinking?
1: That's a very, very interesting question and something we really need to explore on this subject as well. I think culturally, I'm speaking maybe from an India context, but just the word harassment is a very loaded word, right? And all of us have our uh, correlations to that word based on our experiences or based on what we think that word means. And sometimes it could be a personal barrier where people think, oh, what is this going to be about, etc., etc. Is this applicable to me or not? So, uh, which goes back to, you know, people really need to understand what harassment is in the first place. But the larger reasons why I think people are a little hesitant or a little, uh, you know, not so sure about, about this is because maybe sometimes this thing that you brought around that people related to one type of harassment, right? That could be also a particular stigma, like especially in a country uh, where I come from. I, I live in India. And here, when you speak about sexual harassment, it's a very difficult topic. And many times people wonder, if it's then, am I the one, you know, feeling that this is wrong or is everyone else speaking about it? Unfortunately, many organizations, or many, even in the society, people don't openly speak about harassment. People tend to think that it is on the receiver rather than the giver itself, you know, especially when it's subtle. So some of these, this, it's mostly, I feel, a personal barrier or a cultural barrier that really uh, doesn't enable people to openly talk about it and you know there's a whole when i think about it there's like a demonic perception of harassment right and when like like you said when we make it when we make it about the broader perspective when we talk about the larger uh, behaviors i think people will ease up a bit more around it so the communication becomes very important uh, around why uh, you know this is important and why our organizations doing it relating it back to our own values our the culture of respect maybe that the organization kind of promotes These are the things I think that can enable people to open up a bit more in terms of this topic as well. And, you know, let's face it, none of us want to be, if I come to the program and I realize that, oh, my God, I have said something like this to someone in the past. Now, am I, uh, you know, how comfortable am I actually saying it out in the open? How comfortable am I owning this behavior of mine, right? And of course, we are not talking about the the obvious behaviors. Of course, none of us listening to this podcast or none of us in these organizations will even think about that. We're all good people. We intend to be really good. But sometimes I might have said something out of the lack of understanding or without understanding that it is a trigger to another person. And that might have been, over a period of time, if I've kept repeating up, a sort of a harassment or sort of a microaggression to somebody else. And we don't want to, it takes us time to be able to accept it and face it. So while we see it, it's also important that we own that aspect. And I have seen in, uh, in my experience that while people have come with hesitation, the first, you know, 15 minutes, they do not talk. But once they see the conversation unfold, Then they kind of, uh, you know, go to and say, oh, my God, have I not made jokes about a person from this community and always thought it's fine because everybody else is making jokes about a person from this community. I never saw saw this as harassment, you know? So then it becomes easier to own it when you realize, you know, that it is your own barrier that was stopping you from understanding the topic. a
0: A couple of things I want to pick up on there is I think, you know, the point you made earlier on in that uh, around the stigmas around people maybe don't think that I exhibit some of those behaviors or that's not me. I'm not a bad person, right? I, so I don't really need to be here. Or this is just another program on, you know, what I can say and what I can't say. And I just need to kind of tick the boxes. But it's really what I'm hearing you say is about helping people understand that kind of gray area, of harassing behaviors, right? It's not the the edge cases, which are very clearly demarcated within an organization of what is absolutely unacceptable, but it's really crucial for organizations to allow people to explore that gray area, but then also for participants to have that realization that actually, you know, as you were saying there, oh, I might be saying this or doing this, and that can tip into a bullying behavior, which then over time then turns into a harassing behavior. So it's a real did that ability for us to create dramas and scenarios that really allow people to see it and have that kind of aha moment of, oh, my gosh, you know, that joke I was making, I had no idea that was a harassing behavior. And, you know, ah, I don't want to do that. Help me understand what I can do differently. I want to own the fact that I need to do something different here now.
1: Absolutely. And, and just these gray areas that makes very interesting conversations, because sometimes if, if you're part of a majority group or if you're more homogeneous in a way you might not even realize that this is a challenge or an issue, right? So it's it's important that we understand what it could mean to different people as well. And so, you know, I, I think our sessions sometimes have enabled people to really realize that, oh, it is not okay. Just because a few people are, you know, I've heard it around, me participating in it is actually contributing towards increasing that, that feeling within the, uh, within the team or the firm is another aha moment that I think comes up during some of these conversations
0: as well. Yeah, yeah. Okay, John. So just for our listeners, let's paint a little bit of a picture here. So we've just helped the client kind of understand what behaviors are showing up. We've done our research. We've got them understanding the different types of behaviors that are happening within the organization. What does a typical program, even the one that we worked on uh, together, what would a typical program look like
1: Yeah, so uh, I think, like we said, the first thing for us to define is what it means within the organizational context. We do the diagnostic, we try and understand, and then, as we always do, hold up the mirror, what are those behaviors, what what are some of these microaggressions, for really people to dissect and dive into it, Uh, for people to understand the different types. I think uh, we kind of incorporate that into our program as well, and allow people to have a conversation, really, about what it might mean, in the organizational context, but what it might mean to the people you know, who are involved in that uh, situation as well. So that we do that. We then also enable uh, you know, people to, we provide people opportunities to, as, as we have done, to really explore how it could, how what speaking up can look like. What maybe are the right words to use? Uh, how do you create it in a non-threatening, safe environment? Uh, why it doesn't always have to be about a confrontation or a conflict, it doesn't have to be that. It could be just simple micro-sponsorship moments, right? Uh, So we really get people to explore and identify what those could be and how they could really have those conversations um, where they could be uh, the people who are, you know, beginning that change journey within the firm, beginning people to think about it differently, beginning to open the doors of this entire conversation with the larger groups as well and how they can take it back to their teams, maybe sometimes even encourage upward feedback, right? If it's about hierarchy. So a lot of of these little nuances, uh, little tools and techniques that could be applied in your day-to-day conversations or uh, part of how you um, run meetings maybe and stuff like that, right? Just giving, uh, you know, exploring that a bit further with the participants, not only in the session, but also when we talk about change it and live it, ensuring that is happening even within the system at different opportunities, apart from the STEPS intervention as
0: well. And so practically that can show it, show up as maybe a virtual program. It can be an in-the-room program. We can use video to do that. But you know at STEPS, we, we use drama in, in all aspects that we do. And so you know being able to really, as you say, hold up that mirror through the different drama scenarios that have been based on the research that we've done, so that people really start to see the behaviors playing out and begin to identify and recognize oh that's a harassing behavior that's what we mean by it so that then within the session they're able to start to own it and change it and live it within the different workshops or interventions that we run something that i want to explore just a little bit here with you is this idea of that homogeneous culture right so if you're in a majority group of some sort you know we we sort of can adapt behaviors because that's you know how the majority of the group behave. But if you are in a marginalized group, you are going to be experiencing behaviors in a different way uh, than, than that majority group. And I'm, th- what I want to link to this, though, is that several things happen within that kind of concept. So let's say maybe harassing behaviors are being displayed in some capacity. What we hear in our programs is that some people in a majority group, they don't want to say anything because maybe it's not happening to them. Because, and they they go, oh, well, it's not my problem to deal with. That's that's HR's, or that's the person who's being harassed. They need to go and deal with that. So effectively, they're not they're not challenging that behavior. So the behavior is allowed to continue, and then it can grow and balloon and snowball into something that you know then becomes a big problem. But then equally on the other side, if you're a person from a marginalized group, like there might be a, a sense that you don't want to speak up because you'll have this whole group of people who might think oh oh, well that's not true or that's not really what's happening you know don't think that way we were just joking or we were just having a little bit of fun or whatever it may be so then you have this this kind of perfect storm of this place where people just end up not saying anything you know in your experience in this subject area like how do we help people shift that type of thinking to to be a bit more to help create that culture where challenging is celebrated
1: yes yes uh, you know, uh, that's an interesting point that you brought out, Alan, because when we speak about challenge, just another day I was in a, uh, just the other day I was in a conversation with a couple of our people at Steps and we were talking about how the word challenging or speaking up itself, people feel that, am I doing something out of the norm? Is, is this going to upset you know, the balances, because am I the only person feeling this in the room, right? So I think if we can, one thing we've done in the the interventions I've been a part of is to enable people to feel that speaking up is good, right? Speaking up is important. And if it is even that one person who feels that way, it is that one person who is impacted. Why does it have to be about something that a larger group is thinking and I might be the only person not kind of belonging to this kind of a thought process right so i think it's important to bring up speak up conversation in any anti harassment programs because that is the crux of uh, you know kind of touching uh, or targeting where this begins from right unlike a lot of different behaviors because this is also very personal sometimes and it's a very sensitive matter harassment is let's face it i think amongst most of the topics we deal with is one of the most sensitive matters to people as well, one of the most sensitive topics. For people to feel safe to speak up and for the organization or for anyone, the leader or the team, to constantly have that mechanism where we are encouraging people to speak up, even if it's yours, your voice is the only voice that makes the place think very differently that's okay because that is what is going to contribute us uh, contribute towards getting to the next level that's what's going to help us move forward in this conversation you know in a way to enable uh, that tomorrow if one person has given a perspective tomorrow we know that next time i'm in a conversation i have to consider this person's perspective because that maybe other people feeling the same way as well
0: and and I just want to pick up here the bit that I think this is a really crucial part of the, you know, the change it process within the steps to change, right? So not only are we changing behaviors here, but actually a bigger one is changing mindsets around speak up and around challenge and getting people to see that as a, a supportive mechanism rather than a a tattletale mechanism or getting someone in trouble or, you know, going against the the flow or, you know, the majority group. And so spending time with participants in that space and going, you know, you know, speak up isn't necessarily just about whistleblowing, right? And it can be about going, oh, hey, actually, having a curious mindset will allow me to say, oh, oh, John V, that thing that maybe that joke I made, I just want to check that that's okay. Or, you know, it's it's not about, it can be speaking up about, about your own behaviors and checking in with people. It can also be about challenging, you know, a close colleague that you go, hey, maybe, maybe that behavior wasn't helpful because you know, of this reason, but having the conversation is more important than not, because, you know, if you're not checking in, if you're not challenging, if you're not speaking up in supportive ways, then we get to the the point where there's, you know, maybe legal problems and people leave work or, you know, reputations are tarnished within the wider world and so forth. So,
1: And creating those micro moments to be able to speak up. I think that's important. That where someone feels more safe to speak up. And, and like you said, uh, speaking up doesn't have to be escalations or speaking up is just standing up in that moment to say, hey, you know what, I don't know if that really makes me feel comfortable or I don't know if that's something we want to speak in this team about or do we want to, you know, make that okay within our team. By you know, the interesting thing is you don't have to be the person at the receiving end to be able to say this as well. You know, many times I feel in when we do these sessions, especially in India, it's it people think that speaking up is for the person who's experiencing it. But it's really, uh, you know, when we speak about allyship in uh, you know various contexts as well, it's also about the people who are observing, who are being quiet and passively encouraging, maybe some of those comments behaviors to be able to just take that moment or uh, leverage their own privilege to say, hey, you know what. Do we really want to go down that way? Do, do, do we really want to speak about this? And that itself can be very, very helpful in getting people feel comfortable.
0: There's the uh, the old scenario that you you know I've we've this is actually played out in some of our our dramas that we have in the different programs. But there's a line inevitably in, in a lot of the dramas where a character will say, "Oh, I could have told you that was going to happen," or "I could have told you that this would have been reported that way." And you think, "Well, there's a real." learning moment for people to go well if you thought that that was going to happen then you're the example of what you just said that kind of passive person who's just observing things and we all have to play our part in you know helping people understand um in terms of those behaviors and i think i think something i'd love to to explore here is just the kind of the cultural differences right of what we found on the journey of creating this this global program and what was really Interesting challenge that we had to address was uh, the client was very clear in terms of what the organizational expectations were for for anti-harassment from a global perspective. But as we started, you know, having these conversations from a regional viewpoint, so we delivered this content in North America and the UKE, and then also in India, we very quickly found out that, you know, how harassment shows up in those regions It might have similar behaviors, but the actual, where those behaviors and mindsets come from are very, very different. And so, you know, I think just, you know, hearing from you a little bit more about kind of, you know, how does that, what are the different types of harassments that are showing up in India? And then I can maybe speak to some of the things about, you know, the U.S. and how that is um, playing out in some of the different scenarios. Yeah. In India, you know, uh,
1: we've noticed that a lot of the focus is still on prevention of sexual harassment. It is it is called POSH in India, right? P-O-S-H, it's an abbreviation for prevention of sexual harassment. But once we've done some of these workshops, we're thinking about changing it and people living it, we realize that we also have to tie it up to sometimes just certain behaviors that could be around just conversations, jokes, comments, things around what people say, some of the, verbatims we use in the organization, but how that could lead to people perceiving people in a particular way or perceiving leadership sometimes in a particular way. We noticed that bullying behaviors also come to the forefront. And what's interesting in those conversations is the leaders never saw it as bullying behaviors. They just saw it as, you know, that's how we've led the team. So that's how, you know, we've culturally grown or you know and then to pause and say oh yeah it is maybe enforcing someone to be a particular way or do something a particular way which is the way i like it done right so uncovering that exploring that has been one of the newer topics that we've been doing quite a bit within india as well
0: and we had the opportunity to kind of highlight that within the program that we were working on together and the fact that some of our biases and mindsets from the outside world based on societal structures kind mm-hmm. of feed into how we might communicate with our colleague. And actually, in the in our STEPS programs, we, we often say we can't solve the problems from the outside world. But what we can do is create an agreement for what uh, help create an agreement for what good cultural behavioral looks like inside the four walls of a business, and so how do you then help people recognize the fact that maybe the jokes you make with your friends outside of the office actually inside these four walls can start to be leaning into those harassing behaviors or the you know the mindset you might bring, and then from a U.S. and uh, U.S. perspective, I think what we found was you know the U.S. Is, is a lot more of a litigious society, and so you know I think the the barriers for people engaging in these conversations, this is a fear place of going like, well, I don't want to do or say anything wrong. So I'm not going to say anything because then it can't come back to me as I've done anything inappropriate. And so, you know, how we're helping to shift mindsets internally within the businesses we work with is to say, okay, yes, there are some, there are some legal lines that we of course, you know, need to be very clear about crossing, but actually to be a good citizen within an organization and to help create that culture that the businesses want, there is a there is an expectation within these four walls of you know what we're expecting people to show up and to to call out behaviors or to you know reduce help reduce them um, if you see them happening. We all need to help each other out uh, in terms of living it because you know one element that I think was universal in all the programs, both it, you know in, in the U.S. and the U.K. And, and India, was this sense of when you have new hires coming into an organization, they've a lot of time they've just been, you know, coming straight out of university or college or whatever program maybe that they have been on, or this is their first job in a, in a public space. They don't necessarily have the understanding of what the behaviors look like. So what might be funny on social media can actually, you know, nowadays, if you have similar behaviors with colleagues through, you know, apps or whatever, that can be used as a way to show that there's harassing behaviors happen. I
1: share with you Alan this is very interesting what you said and, and some of it you know have you know if I speak about this is it going to come back to me something we see in, in India as well and I think we pretty much see it in in various cultural contexts what I, I wanted to um, uh, you know kind of share with you was when we've uh, when we've sometimes done these these programs people have come to us and in our discussions people have come to us and say okay, in the context of this group, if uh, I understand that we need to be right, you know, that we have to say the right thing, we have to consider everyone else. But if Alan and John, we, for example, know each other outside of office and we are friends, is it okay for us to say, have these conversations outside? Because then no ones around us. It's just the two of us, right? So is what do you think about that? And do you think that impacts... And do you think that comes back to play when we are also with the social group or, you know, when we are with our teams? And I thought that's a very interesting conversation uh, that we have uh, because people think, I feel, we really need to, when we speak about this topic, really need for people to think about, to challenge themselves. Uh, you know, while we're talking about what is right for the organization and sometimes, as we said, within with different regions, it might have to be considered with what the culture in the region and some of the acceptable, non-acceptable things within that region is. It's also important for us to look at ourselves and think about if we want to personally grow, is this a great conversation to have with a buddy of mine who might also not even be associated with the firm, but what is my personal ethical value? Turn the flashlight on yourselves, kind of a conversation becomes very interesting when we talk about it in a more deeper level. So
0: Absolutely. I love that thought. Turn the flashlight on yourself, right? I think it's it's, you know, none of us are finished books and we all have learning and development we can have in our personal lives, so that's a really great thought to help us end the episode on John V. This has been a really fantastic exploration of the subject matter, so I think that's about all the time we have left. I just want to thank you so much, John V, for joining us, and thank you listeners for joining us on this episode. If you'd like to know more about Steps and Steps to Change, make sure you visit our website, find us on LinkedIn, sign up to our newsletter. All the links will be available in the show notes, Um, and if you're interested in how Steps could partner with you or your organization to support your needs, uh, send us an email or fill out the form online on www.stepsdrama.com. What would you like to hear us talk about? Is there a subject area that you'd like to hear us explore? If so, drop us an email and let us know, and we can pick up on that and maybe put that into a future episode. As always, thank you so much to the production team. This is not a one-person show. We could not be doing this without you. I am your host, Alan Lidke, and we look forward to having you tune into our next episode, where we'll be discussing feedback. Uh, exploring people's mindsets towards it, and effective ways to give and receive feedback. Until next time, thank you. And remember, you too can see it, own it, change it, and live it.